Hello and welcome to Quality Time with Rick and Rob, the podcast that talks about technology and whatever else comes along the way. Uh, I'm Rick, and as always, I'm joined by uh, Rob. Hey, everyone. Uh, hey, Rob. How you been? Not too bad. Uh, very excited. Still in the office for uh, some some more podcasts in person, which is an exciting time. Um, I know last week we, uh, our last episode, I guess, scratch that. Last episode, we talked about our as a service uh, uh, platforms and and some of the ways that the industry's transitioning towards that and I'm, I'm super excited i know you're so excited for our guest today i think he's going to shine some some light on on some of the things we're doing from a strategic standpoint here at aqueduct um and i know you're very excited about this guest rick so i know that it's going to be a great topic uh are you looking forward to it i am i think the transitions that are happening in the market and the technology itself um has been the acceleration has been amazing um, of what we've been doing and then how we transition as a company to that has been exciting to watch. Um, so that brings us to today's guest is, uh, Dan Murray. Dan is the, uh, SVP of, um, strategic growth and operations here at Aqueduct. Dan has been with us for six years and in the industry for almost two decades. Hey Dan. Uh, how, you do, how you guys doing today? Great to see you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be in the office and get to see everybody face to face after, uh, year and a half or so that's the fun part yeah. for me <laughs> like yeah. when we did our last episode and we were in person was like i can actually see rob <laughs> oh i know i know and I, and and i think dan is perfect to to bring in as as a in-person guest i still remember dan's first day at aqueduct it was at a, a ski resort um which goes pretty highly up there as as far as like first days go and my my first day they barely find a laptop for me um dan was out there on the slopes on his first day pretty cushy yeah that's pretty that's pretty impressive that whole kickoff thing was pretty cool anyways we always do have good kickoffs on it my time since has not been a disappointment <laughs> it's been everything that i signed up for and more uh, which has been great yeah and uh dan is making us take him skiing just to be on the podcast so uh he comes with high price and and, and high praise and, and recommendations just keep me off the snowboard so I don't crack the helmet again <laughs> All right. So topic uh, number one, I, I think um, we've got a lot of things to talk about uh, today. We're definitely going to be looking at some of the 2021 IT trends, how they've impacted the market this year. Um, and then, you know, going into next year, I think we're, we're looking at how they're going to transition and, and impact 2022, uh, certainly as the strategy guy. I think you're, you're the perfect person to talk about some of these things. Um, I know one of the big things that we talked about last episode is is the evolution of as a service and and i think you know consumption models are are really changing um how is that impacting customers uh, how is that changing you know how how there's you know the benefits and challenges that that come along with purchasing things in a new new way well timing is everything which we're finding uh as we go through and evaluate the market we worked through, you know, Rob and I worked through quite a bit in as far as for what's market ready, what's the feasibility, what's the buying models, how, uh, you know, how are, how are people going to, con or customers going to consume these technologies and these uh, different buying models, not even just a consumption model, but also a different buying model. You know, we're seeing so much in the market that's being pushed down by vendors, by manufacturers in these different offerings in how they, uh, they go to market. Right. A lot of these organizations, they see that 
predictable, repeatable revenue coming in as an organization increases their valuation as an organization, their stock prices goes up, they're able to invest more in research and development, helps them differentiate them in the market, get further up in that magic quadrant, right? It's very interesting to see, uh, not only just from a, from a larger organization standpoint, but then also we see down market in some of the new emerging technologies and vendors that are springing up as well. And these buying models to be in line with what they predict to be the future buying model for a lot of organizations moving forward. We see a lot of interesting things that are happening there. Um, now, these buying models definitely offer a lot of great benefit to customers. The customers can be buying uh, in from a predictable uh, spend standpoint uh, moving forward. They, um, they generally want to get out of the business of owning, operating, managing an investment. They want to pass it off. They want their employees to focus on driving strategic initiatives for the business, making them more profitable, more efficient, providing a better customer experience uh, for their customers really, yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, and you talk about that experience, and I think, uh, you know, the way I view as a service is when you go into a new building, what's the, the first few things that you do? Anytime you go to a new, new shop, new store, something along those lines, you check to see if the Wi-Fi is working, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's right up there with are the lights on? Uh, can I walk through the door and do they have Wi-Fi? Those are, those are basically like the top three things you, you do when you go into a store. So, you know, when I look at as a service, I'm, I'm seeing it and we talked about it, um, you know, on the last uh, episode is it's such a utility that it almost needs to be consumed like your utility. You pay your electric bill every month. You pay your water bill every month. Technology is right up there. And we talked about, you know, use case with, you know, real estate, you know, customers are looking to say, I've got a three-year lease on this building. Can I just have a three-year lease with my technology? I'll consume it just like a utility, just like anything else. And can I roll that into, um, you know, one basic uh, utility package that now I know what my costs are for this building for the next three years. And if I want to pick up and move to a new building, I'll just sign a new technology lease when I get there. And, and that'll be how I do my real estate. That's how I'll do my utilities. That's how I'll do my technology. And all I have to worry about is what I'm doing as a business and who my you know people are. And it helps me focus and, and strategize. And I know that's a, a big driver for a lot of folks. Yeah, I see on the consumption model, the the business used to push to what the consumer would do, and now it's the other way around, right? So we, the consumers, we like our streaming services. We like, you know, it's all predictable. We like all of these different services that we buy, you know, whether it's the music or the video or whatever. We're all okay with doing that on a monthly subscription or a yearly subscription, and that is jettisoned over into businesses because the business is saying now, if I can do OPEX and I can have these fixed costs, fantastic. That's not to say it's going to replace you know, cap expenditures, but it's uh, becoming more the normal operating procedure to have OPEX than it is CapEx. Yeah, certainly. It, it, like I mentioned at the beginning, it's it's all about timing and, and some of the challenges that are faced there, right? It, we always see in the market, like it starts at the consumer level first, and then it moves into to business uh, from there moving forward, right? So easy to sign up for that Netflix subscription, that Spotify subscription, and next thing you know, you know, Paramount Plus, you're watching what's that show? Um, Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, got to watch Yellowstone. Watch it, yeah. And now everybody's signing up for Paramount plus And we, everybody, you know, at the end of the year, they look at, wow, I have six or seven different subscriptions and I'm not even using them, but it's so easy. It's so easy to forget. It's just like the gym membership. And we're just about to roll into 2022 
with all the uh, the false promises, promises that we see that usually fall off from that with the gym memberships. But anyhow, so it is very easy to do, and, and like that's part of the driving force for these organizations transition to a different buying model, making it easier for them to buy and save capital expenditures, right? Just build it into the monthly cost. We see that in AWS, right? That consumption model, that constantly pay by the drip. Doesn't seem like it's gonna be a big expenditure until you get to the end of the year and then you reevaluate that. Yeah, and I, it's it's interesting to say that because even AWS this year with um, Reignite and just different things is all been about cost optimization. That has been a big push, right? So you'll see a lot of the new tools are all about cost optimization to keep that OPEX model in check, you know, so you don't get those big bills because a lot of people are looking at those big bills and then going, well, wait, do I move to on-prem? Do I, you know, and they don't realize that that expenditure to move out is very expensive. Mm. You know, their expenditure to stay status quo is is much better to digest. Yeah, you certainly have to do your due diligence when you're making an investment like that and understanding these different consumption models across the board. Um, at the early onset, you know, and AWS was great, a great example. Everybody went to AWS. And then next thing you know, their costs have ballooned through the roof. They went into the year expecting budget to be X. And the year comes, CFO is knocking on the door saying, you've blown through that by 40%. Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of them went, and I'll get technical for a second, a lot of them went without using frameworks like the well-architected framework. They just said, all right, everybody lift and shift and go over. And then they consumed it the same as they would that were on-prem and, you know, without any guardrails. And, you know, then it was two or three times the cost. Yeah, no doubt. A little plug for us. Uh, a lot of our customers should be doing some of the cloud workshops that we're doing with customers and ensure that they are in a well-architected framework. You, no, no you, you bring up a good point because a lot of those workshops turn into full-blown assessments. They turn into um, right-sizing the customer. And I think we feel good doing that because now they're in a better place, right? And then we can help them grow and do all of those different things. And sometimes I remember some of the work, you, you look at it and you're like, wow, that is so disjointed. Like, how are you not losing your mind managing that? Yeah, and, and, and we talked with Neil about it, you know, a couple episodes back. And, and he said, you know, everybody was trying to get to the cloud so fast that nobody was really thinking about frameworks and nobody was really thinking about what the long-term impact of these were. A lot of times they had, you know, you talked about some of that strategy getting pushed down, you know, uh, through the ranks and, and the IT organization had to deliver some sort of cloud application. And so they just put it up there and, and said, hey, great, we're, we're in the cloud now, check check that box. Um, but I, I think, you know, our workshops have been so successful because they look at things like cost analytics and, and, you know, is this right, the right framework? Are we using the right services? Those types of things that I think have been real successful for our customers to, to take uh, heed of uh, as they go through that process as more of an overall strategy perspective, which, um, which is real nice. Um, Dan, you mentioned, uh, I wanted to, to ask, you mentioned that um, you know, that there's a little bit more uh, from the consumption model that, you know, it's a different buying habit. Has there been a shift in the, the buying habits of our customers uh, to accommodate for uh, the, the different model of consumption? Some, some have. Uh, I think uh, a lot of organizations have started small or they're biting off a, a small piece where they can, they can de-risk themselves. Um, it's something that they see as uh, not valuable for their team to manage, own, and operate. 
A great example of that is BCDR, or Backup as a Service. Mm -hmm. Organizations are outsourcing that uh, at a tremendous clip. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We did see that a lot of that in 2021 where they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> it's like, you know. Yeah, well, I think you want your your employees, your team, your your skill performers to focus on what they're skilled at. And, you know, if you can kind of get some of these services delivered as a service, then you can keep them focused on what they're good at and you can subscribe, quote unquote, to, to everything that... Uh, that you have. So, so Dan backup uh, as a service is kind of more of an outcome, uh, you know, than it is a, um, than it is a uh, technology because I think backup can reside in multiple architectures. It can reside in multiple platforms. Um, have you seen kind of a shift towards, towards outcomes uh, versus a la carte? Certainly have. Uh, I, you know, the interesting thing is it's, it depends on who you're talking to in the organization. You're speaking with IT leadership and they're asking for a guaranteed delivered outcome. I don't care what technologies are being used. I need, example, SASE. SASE is a service. I need to make sure that my workers are working efficiently, effectively, in a secure way, no matter where they are. It's a great, great example. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think that's, um, that's what we've seen. I know Rick, we've talked about it before. Um, outcomes that, that people are looking for. I know you've, you've looked at a lot of like different like playbooks and things like that, that you've developed on the security side that really focus on one type of outcome. Um, you know, is that, is that what you're seeing on, on that side too? Yeah. I think Dan brings up a good point because we tend to talk about frameworks all day long. Right. And I don't think customers understand frameworks and sassy is a framework you know mm -hmm. they're like okay i need to buy sassy i need to go do that and it's like well it is you know an outcome we will get there but first we need to do x and y and, and get you there and again i'll plug my workshops right so the those workshops get you there because it is very hard i would assume as a it leader or even somebody in finance or somebody you know in that realm they're saying we need sassy okay, where do we go buy SASE? And it's it's really not something you can buy. It's a framework and it's things that we need to do to educate them and get customers into those consumption models. Yeah. One of the interesting things that I mentioned was, you know, when we're it's a different conversation with IT leadership as it is down to the operators, right? So you're speaking with the operators and they want to know what's the, you know, the Gartner leading quadrant top partner in, in, that, in that space or the top vendor that's in that space. And they want to get the best of the best of the best of the best which is great. It can help support that. The challenge is you bring that all in-house, you try to stitch it all together, and you're spending more time standing it up, activating, adopting, transition to operations, and you're not getting the outcome in the time frame you expected, and nobody takes into account the cost, the internal cost and the burden for that as well. All right, so we're able to provide you know a lot of the solutions that we're developing in SASE as a service, a framework for our customers. Here's industry-leading technologies and platforms and we're driving the outcome. We're going to own, manage, operate, lifecycle manage, support the customer, come back and ensure that they're getting the most value out of that and that they're protected across the board. And I think that's beneficial because what I see, SASE is all about pieces talking to each other and all becoming, you know, one part of the, the ecosystem. Customers tend to, as you go down in the IT leader space where you know, this new company came out, they're awesome at marketing, you know, you're like, I want to buy that. I think this is going to help me. 
you go get it, and then you realize it's a monolithic solution where you can't scale. And you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, there's no way I'm going back to leadership and say, you know, I bought this great thing and we can only use it here. Yeah, I think this this is serving as a perfect kind of end of 2021 episode because I think we talked about it earlier too, which was uh, when we were talking about platform as a service, the rise of platform as a service versus, you know, quote unquote, best of breed products. And we talked about how we were seeing more and more uh, transitions towards the platform as a service, because you mentioned it, Dan, when you have 15 different best of breed products and you have, you know, 20 different uh, technologies that you're bringing in, even if they are in that Gartner magic quadrant, somebody has got to be trained to, to use them. Somebody has got to be trained to manage them. There's a high internal cost. And then, you know, there's the uh, item that nobody really wants to talk about or, or, or mention, which is what if that person that you've now trained on 10 different things leaves, you got to start all over on all 10 of those again. Um, and so, you know, I think you, you mentioned it, what we've been, you know, focusing a lot on is what's the management of those those devices and and we can offer either platform uh the platform story through our vendor partners if we're, we're looking to consolidate uh, vendors or we can offer it you know from a managed services standpoint where we manage all of that uh, ourselves and then um you know obviously uh, we can help out on the talent delivery side as well if we find a, a small gap that we need to fill as well so uh, i think you know we we saw that coming what was that like seven episodes uh, ago rick that we started talking about the best of breed story kind of going away well in during the pandemic we had a lot of people onboarding as managed services because they were short on staff and everything and in my humble opinion i really thought that was going to scale down when people got back in the office and it has it, they're like, okay, let me do more of this. Let me get more of this managed as a service. Let me take care of all of my endpoints. Let me take care of all my service so I can now do those projects that have been put on hold for the last two years. So that to me was, you know, um, very rewarding to see that. Yeah. So Dan, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, from the aqueduct perspective, we're seeing, a lot of our solutions be more uh, sold as a, as a package. There's more uh, technology coming together, both from a vendor and, and our perspective. But I think there's also in the market, there's a consolidation really of, of technology players. We're seeing, you know, the mergers and acquisitions that you always uh, are, are on the uh, prowl for and the, and the lookout. And you mentioned that, I think, earlier that, uh, you know, companies are, are purchasing gaps in their portfolio. Uh, is that something that we're going to see continue? Is that something that you see as a good trend? What, what are you seeing uh, down those those roads? I think it will continue to, to uh, it always will continue. Without a, I mean, that's been the evolution of our industry, of our market. Like it just this ebbs and flows. We see it. You see a new technology, a new topics pop on up, you know, artificial intel intelligence, RPA, all these different organizations coming on up. Like they have the best thing since sliced bread. They get backed by PE firms. They try to be a market leader, and then they look to get scooped up. Yeah, I would agree. We saw the metamorphosis of Cisco, you know, mm -hmm. transitioning from a hardware-first company to a software-first company, and watching that transition was amazing. You know, it was the way they went about it and how they did it, you know, just watching technology conversions live happening, you know. And we were vendor, you know, we had a lot of these uh, technologies separated, right? So, you know, we were uh, an open DNS 
you know, provider long before they joined Cisco, Thousand Eyes, and all these other providers that are now underneath the Cisco umbrella, which has been amazing to watch. I think that attributes to just Aqueduct in our DNA, right? Understanding customers' needs, find the best solution in the market, and then pulling it through. We've been pretty lucky where uh, the organizations that have since gone ahead and bought them happen to be those that we're partnered with. We're able then from there develop further uh, services for our customers from jump starts to full statements of work, work through the full life cycle with our customers from end to end as well. Yeah, and I think that's part of the appeal of being a partner uh, or on the partner side is the what I think customers probably miss a lot is some of the influence that we have on the manufacturers as we come across uh, some of the technologies that we like that work together. I know I personally was pre-sales certified on Tanberg before that was purchased mm-hmm. in the AV world. I was pre-sales. I was a, what, what was it, an F, SFSCE or something, a SourceFire uh, certified uh, consulting engineer or something, something along those lines before they were they were purchased. And, and then we saw, you know, like Meraki and, and as, as Cisco's kind of grown, I think, um, you know, we see a lot of those really great technologies on this side first. And then when they get purchased, uh, I think that obviously leads towards, uh, you know, better interworkings within uh, the the product teams at Cisco and, and how they, they kind of pull all those together, which, uh, Dan, as you mentioned, is, is kind of towards the end experience, whether that's the end user experience or the end IT team experience. I think um, the, that's what I, I see as, as the trends benefit. Yeah, with, without a doubt. So the, the flip side of this is, you know, less competition is, is, is that going to raise prices for everybody if, uh, you know, one company, uh, Cisco, is out there, is, is purchasing all of the, the little guys? Is that going to raise prices for everyone? History told us no, right? I mean, you see there's, you know, two, three primary providers of a solution, of an outcome, and they battle it out in the street, and uh, pricing generally will go down. I agree. I think a lot of the uh, the buyouts of those things, you know, I'll use Palo as an example, it's more of to keep the customer base that they already have, you know, with some growth on it. Um, but I think there's a lot of players and there's a lot of competition right now of the different things. You know, even in my security space, there's several different products that are just top-notch products, you know, that if one got bought out and it didn't pan out correctly, you know, you do have it. And I'll, we'll preface that we always have to make sure that they're able to integrate with other products, right? So I don't want to get the monolithic <laughs> going again. But um, but I think they definitely want to keep the continued base that they have. So, Dan, I want to circle back. Earlier we had talked about you know, outcomes and purchasing decisions. And, and you had mentioned IT leadership and some of the, uh, you know, IT uh, department uh, users that, that might end up having some impact on the, the purchasing. Is there anyone else that you see as influencing decisions, especially in the context of, you know, going into 2022? Yeah, right. We've seen so many more participants in the solutions that we're driving, right? We're pulling in not only um, IT leadership, but we're working more specifically with sales, with marketing, with finance, and across the organization because we're focused on driving outcomes, driving a solution. And it's not only just like the initial front high level uh, impact is going to have an organization, but how does that impact the end user? How does it impact the customer's 
customers, right? So there's a lot of focus there. And one of the things that has been really interesting to see is the communication between IT leaderships and finance and how are they budgeting, right? So we see this transition in the market of going from CapEx to OpEx. That's going to continue to happen. But are these organizations really ready for that? Uh, we don't see a lot of strong dialogue between uh, a lot of IT leadership and our customers and the CFOs and really how are they budgeting, right? So they're budgeting, and hopefully they're done with their 2022 budgeting <laughs> and they're already looking at 23, 24, 25 and beyond. And how do they keep pace with the market and their consumption models and their buying models throughout the next three, four, five years and beyond? Because it's going, the manufacturers will get to a point where they won't have a choice. Yeah, and I think the finance conversations for them previously was a lot easier. It was, I have a budget of $1 million to go buy X amount of hardware and services. I'm going to put it in and then I'm, I'm going to move on. And it was, um, you know, I, I know in our previous lives, we've all worked with a lot of different customers. I, I had a lot of experience in the government space previous to my role here and seeing the end of year budget squeeze when they would say, I have X amount of dollars left and then they'd go buy like 10 million pencils just to fill out the, the budget kind of thing because um, their budget was elastic on how much they had spent the year before. Um, I think that conversation of submitting a requisition and getting it approved and moving on is, is kind of gone. I think, like you said, the finance team is much more involved, especially in some of these decisions, because it's an ongoing cost now. It's a subscription. It's uh, uh, it's operational. They're looking a lot at the budgets and, and things like that. Um, and then I think, you know, Dan, you mentioned that leadership's getting involved more, too. Yeah, well, to a couple of those points, the uh, going to get that capital purchase order, right, plan spend, we have to spend it, have to get it off the books. That's the easy button. It's the buying model that everybody in the organization is really comfortable with. They really understand and it's easy, right? I need to buy X. Here's the cost, what it's going to be. I can sweat it. I can depreciate it. It's a well thought out process, well understood and something that people have been buying a long time. Now, internally, you have a proposal from a vendor or partner or manufacturer then to have, here's a different buying model. It's going to cost you $1,500 a month, $10,000 a month, or on a monthly recurring basis, or it's even on an annual basis or quarterly basis, whatever it is. That's a different conversation back with finance, and they haven't planned for that. So how do you budget for it? How do you get that approved? That's much more difficult, much more painful. So organizations are still much more apt to go and say, can I capitalize this? Can I buy this all up front? I'll take care of how I depreciate this over the course of time. I don't want it to be an OPEX model. But then you lose out on a lot of the value benefit that you get from this, right? So we talked about as a service, we talked about, um, you know, partnering with an organization to ensure that it's not only just implemented and activated, it's coming back to making sure that you're up to the latest software version, the latest firmware version. You're taking full advantage of that investment that you've made over the course of time. And you're at the end of your three to five years life cycle management, you can feel good about I got that full benefit. Whereas there's still so many times where you'll go buy a platform, a device, implement it, configure it, forget about it mm -hmm. until there's an issue. And what's driving that is security. Security says, come in there and you do an assessment and like, I don't have the latest firmware. I don't have the latest software. There's a risk, there's a gap there. Security is driving so much of this, which is a good thing because it's forcing organizations to go back and visit all their platforms, but it's done in a reactive way. 
how can you be proactive about it? These as a service models, partnering with organizations like an aqueduct or anybody in that market forces that to make sure that when you are audited, you're assessed, you have the latest and greatest, you're getting the most value benefit of that investment. And I even think we've seen in our lifecycle team, you were talking is the adoption of those products that they bought. You were going back and looking at them and realizing that they didn't adopt them, you know, and they spent all that CapEx money, you know, and didn't fully adopt or fully exercise what they had for entitlements. And, you know, now they're trying to play catch up before their new recycle, their new renewal comes in, you know, and they have to do it. And I think as a service model takes away that pain, right? Cause you, you are going to implement everything. You are going to exercise all your entitlements because we're going to help do it for you. Well, so much of it too, is that it is now, you know, over the course of history and you know, just the last 10 years, Businesses are looking at IT as a business enabler, not just a utility, not just a, you know, uh, you know, cost sunk into the business as a requirement. Now they look at technology. How do I advance this business? How do we become more profitable, more efficient, guaranteed uptime, make sure my end users can constantly work and provide whatever service out there, make sure their customers have access to their platforms, whatever that may be. There's such an integral part of the, uh, of the organization. Like they have a seat at the table within the executives, they're charged with driving, helping drive the business forward. So then what happens is you see, you know, they have to check the box. We have to lifecycle manage these devices, whatever it may be. They go ahead, they check the box. I have to get my team off of that and now focused on strategic initiatives to drive the business forward. And you still have these gaps, these vulnerabilities over the course of time that haven't been addressed because you look at them reactive opposed to from a proactive view. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree. And I think, you know, I always try to compare things to the the consumer side because I think it's easy, it's easy to understand. And, and how many of you bought an, an iPhone and then just never updated it for four years, right? And then just waited till you bought the, the next the next iPhone. You, you, you don't do that. Um, so I think that's what the beauty of as a service and especially as a lot of these manufacturers and vendors move more towards software based, like, like you said, Rick is especially on the Cisco side, going towards a software base is those features and functionality are now coming out constantly. There's security fixes, there's new features, they're purchasing other companies so that they can come out with like new apps that they have on their, their phone. I mean, you saw, uh, you know, wearables get a whole lot more support on different types of, of phones and things like that as they came through. And if you're not on top of, training your users and doing that on the corporate side of what the new features and functionalities are to your IT team as well, um, then I think you're missing out on a whole lot of the already purchased value that you have in your your software. So uh, I think that's a, a super important point. Yeah, and I think these manufacturers are learning by the cloud, if you know, you want my honest opinion, because AWS and Azure and even GCP, when they have these new features or these new things that they want to implement, they just, they're there and the consumer can take them and use them and however they want. So they're on the latest and greatest. Mm-hmm. Um, and some may invoke all the features, some may invoke one, but you know, they'll take advantage of them, which is, which is amazing. And, uh, we have a, uh, Surprise announcement. Uh, producer Maddie's not here. So producer Katie's giving us the uh, thumbs up that it's time to can continue on with this conversation. Um, and uh, she's, she's going to throw a pen at us for Maddie uh, if, if we don't move on. So um, job, job. 
Dan, one of the one of the things that uh, we we've seen, especially going into twenty twenty two, is automation and and where automation takes us uh, for you know this year it, it went through a lot of changes and next year where it's going. So, um, where do we expect uh, you know automation to kind of change for us uh, as we move into next year? There are so many different areas of uh, automation and advancement that we see across entire industry in the market, right? I mean, it happens every single day. Um, to narrow down on one specific focus topic, it's really around customers' applications. And, and you know, even us as, you know, from a use case standpoint, that we've gone through a tremendous amount of application uh, rationalization, improvement, integration, and understanding, uh, you know, how do we get the most benefit out of those platforms, right? And how do we become efficient, how do we drive cost out of the business so that we can better serve our customers? Right? So when we look at that, you know, you have the traditional platforms that you use and where available, you know, with between applications, leveraging APIs, you have that done. Great. Then there's times where you'll find that uh, there's not APIs to tie some specific systems together and you have to introduce a middleware. You can get a, still a lot of great value benefit out of that. And that's been helpful for us in a couple different instances, but we still constantly strive to drive more efficiency and more effectiveness to our business and how do we do that? So one of the great things that we've seen really come to bear in the market is RPA, robotic process automation, otherwise known as bots. Taking specific tasks that are repeatable, done time and time again, uh, and getting those implemented into your business so that you can have your employees, much like the IT organizations we're talking about and, and them focusing on driving business forward and, and working with their customers or, or focusing on strategic initiatives, we do the same for our employees. So we can impl implement and introduce a bot to offload work. I can then have them work with customers and provide a much better customer experience and go from good to great. Yeah, we have seen on the cybersecurity side, bots really start taking off right before the pandemic and then accelerate through the pandemic. And I saw a lot of um, business processes take that lead and say, if, if they can keep up with that velocity on the cybersecurity side, we surely on the business side can keep up with that. And there has been some, you know, amazing designers for the bots and, and coming out. And I've seen some, some great interactions with those um, and what they're doing. And I think it all goes back, you know, I'll even take it back to the consumer. You know, we all got used to the Alexas and the series and, you know, Hey Google and all of that. And that automation step that, you know, it just now the evolution, um, you know, to these bots. And to our earlier part of the conversation, when we talk about market con consolidation and organization, like there's a business challenge, there's a need, there's an opportunity out there. And there's a lot of consulting organizations and platforms being built to facilitate RPA and bots, right? It's just coming across the board. We yeah, and we're going to see it with the multi-cloud, right? So folks are doing the Azure's are doing the AWS and are doing the GCPs. And now we're seeing even more of the our Oracles and the SAPs and, you know, all of the private cloud space that folks want to use as public space. You know, they're going to need automation to make that enabled for their end users. You will see in, in time, and this is our prediction, the next two to three years will be another consolidation of these RPA platforms, consultant organizations they had scooped on up by the larger organizations because it fills a gap and need for their customers and they're going to come out and they're going to drive a solution and outcome for their customers. Part of that may be bots or RPA. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely see that 
Yeah, I think I think you'll see some of those APIs, the that middleware will start getting picked up by some of the manufacturers that they're meant to serve, and then uh, there won't be an option on what type of middleware or APIs you use. It's it'll be tied to the manufacturer specific. So um, I, I can see some of the manufacturers, some of the bigs trying to scoop up market share that way by consolidating all that middleware into their uh, only supported APIs. Uh, yeah, we've p- seen that with all of them, you know, even the VMwares and all of that, just picking up those APIs because it's so much easier to consume that company than it is to write your own, you know, oh, yeah. from that. Salesforce this year, Microsoft this year, already examples of this in motion, you know, continue to happen. Yeah, Salesforce is way ahead of a lot of folks. They have, they have really, I think they defined the software as a service model, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody's trying to get, they have always been a leader in that space. Thank you, Salesforce and Microsoft, for making our uh, our lives much more efficient here at Aqueduct. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's right. Um, so what are, what are I guess, um, you know, we, we've talked about some of the manufacturer side and what's leading towards some of those trends. You talked a little bit about what the benefit to the the company is. Is there any benefit towards the end users, the employees at the company uh, for their company deciding to, to get into some of these APIs? There's lots of examples out there, right? I mean, the examples that I can give, you know, just from an internal aqueduct standpoint is I'm not having employees spending 20 hours a week managing, manipulating uh, spreadsheets, mm-hmm. right? And it's the same outcome week over week, month over month, right? So I can then have them focused on more valuable business tasks, engagement with customers, engagement internally, serving our customers, serving our internal teams, serving our the manufacturers and partners that we work with and, and really providing a better experience. Yeah, and that's, I think that's perfect timing. We were talking about it earlier uh, as we were roundtabling for this episode, which is the great resignation, quote unquote, but being able to take 20 hours a week out of manipulating spreadsheets out and, and be able to go to your HR department and say, look, this role that we're advertising that we're trying to fill, it's no longer just, you know, menial tasks that are tough on, on the eyes and, and tough on the, the back while you have to sit still and, and manipulate a worksheet. We're going to make this role much more exciting at our company than it is at our competitor's company. So when we're looking at the same uh candidate for a role, we're going to be able to offer a much better experience. We're going to be able to offer much more impact in the role and allow them to focus on business focused events. So um, I think those types of things that you can advertise internally, like you said, IT working with different organizations and providing more business value is is a huge benefit. I think the one benefit I enjoy as an individual contributor is that we're all on the same page. Like when we're talking, no matter what discipline we're in, no matter where we are in the life cycle, no matter if a customer asks me a question, I can literally see everything and understand exactly what's going on with them. You well, know, a lot of what we worked on in the last couple of few years is knocking down silos. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like we, we've had, I mean, just like any other organization, we continue to grow and evolve and improve. Some of the challenges we've had in years past was being fairly siloed and the left hand not talking to the right. Now we've worked tremendously hard in breaking down silos and working together just from a culture standpoint and a community standpoint, but also the data that we're working off of as well and working from the same same page of music. Yeah, and I think that transitions well, speaking of breaking down silos and being able to see everything. One of our questions that's going to come up in uh, the Let's Talk About It 
segment is when we talk about full stack observability, which ties in with uh, our automation conversation. So I think right now, probably best to to get to transition. Uh, I think, Rick, we've had a pretty good uh, conversation with Dan so far. I think we should let him hang out, help us answer some of these questions as we, we get into the taco time. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I know Dan likes tacos. So I know. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So uh, just a reminder, our Let's Talk About It, uh, it being capitalized for IT segment is when we support local businesses by purchasing some some tacos from the surrounding area. So uh, today we got some great tacos. We got a couple of questions we're going to answer. And uh, I I think uh, we're ready for another uh, segment. So Rick, uh, you want to talk about your tacos? Yep. I'm, uh, I went with the vegetarian taco today. It's uh, roasted cauliflower and all the vegetables. And don't make fun of me because I went vegetarian today. <laughs> I well, see that look. Well, Dan and I uh, went with uh, the same because we are, we're, we're meat eaters. So we went with uh, some, some short rib tacos. Dan, I don't know if you've gotten to dig in yet, but uh, I, I think they're fantastic. Did not skimp on the short rib. It was pleasantly full. Yeah, I saw that for you guys. What do you think, Dan? I thought it was great. I had uh, originally I was going to go with the tuna, the tuna taco, and uh, I'm glad I stayed with the, the short rib. It, it was really good. Pleasant surprise. Yeah, it came highly recommended, but I have to go out for dinner, so I didn't want to overdo <laughs> it. <laughs> but uh, so the let's talk about it segment. We always get questions um, from the audience and. Uh, we get them from various sources, but if you'd like to submit a question to us, um, it's marketing at aqueducttech.com. If you see us at one of our in-person events, you know, we're always taking questions. And actually this question came up at our last in-person event at the uh, Sim Tech Summit that we recently did at Gillette, where we spoke and met a lot of folks in there. And, and, you know, it's a pretty prestigious event, and uh, we, we sent the best and the brightest. So, uh, Rick, you got to go for that, which uh, I think is, is pretty awesome. And obviously, you made some friends since we have some questions. I did. We actually, um, marketing was nice enough to set up a little section for me on the podcast. So I, uh, <laughs> I needed some more topics. So come on over <laughs> and uh, ask questions. Uh, but no, and in my conversation, so this one actually came from a gentleman by the name of Jim. And uh, he wanted to know uh, what was the future role of application performance monitoring, which I think was interesting because we had um, two different types of vendors in our suite talking about that. But I think APM or application performance monitoring um, is here to stay because it's all based on the end user experience. And if the end user um, is having an issue or they can't do their job, it reflects on the business. And, you know, I think the, the quicker they can resolve an issue and understand what's happening in their environment is very important. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think I've, I've said it before on previous uh, podcasts. I think the, for me, when I look at applications, I view the end user experience as probably the paramount uh, performance uh, metric that I would look at. No one really cares if your, you know, outlook is on a, on-premise exchange server, or if it's in the cloud service through Office 365, whatever it may be, the end users just want to get their email, then they want to be able to have uh, access to it. So I think um, application performance management really 
gives us an idea of all the different, you know, steps along the way that might have impacted the end user experience for an application. Um, but I think Dan, being still a guest here, is a perfect person to, to chime in on application performance management and uh, what the future looks like for it. Uh, <clears throat> I'm glad I stuck around for the for the tacos. Um, it's, it, APM is certainly going to stay around. Stay around. I think it'll be prevalent. I think we're going to see it more so on externally facing customer uh, client applications. So meaning a business that is um, providing some sort of service, offering uh, storefront, whatever it may be, to their customers and measuring that. I think that's where we're going to see the most impact. Uh, and then that'll start coming on in internal, you know, for larger organizations, and then coming back down market, really to, to measure the end user experience internally for co- internal employee satisfaction, but externally first for um, how are they performing in their customer experience uh, and making sure that your customers stay or they're having a good experience or they're buying and they're not going to their competitors. Yeah, it's a critical critical part of business, I think, is that experience. And we all know uh, the younger generation more used to application type interactions with their favorite brands and, and with their, their companies. So, you know, you see things like you know, social media, rewards apps, those types of things that are starting to become the go-to for this generation as they interact with uh, their favorite brands, as I said. Uh, so I think having something like this that helps give IT teams the tool that they need to respond to those types of events and to stay uh, ahead of issues is is critical and going to become even more paramount going forward. Yeah, there's a few that we use um, that actually take the business intelligence to the next level. There's, um, you know, I'll use AppD for an example. Um, there is a tab in here it's called Business Health. And what's important about that is, you know, of the applications that you classified as important to your business, how are they performing? Yep. And I think that's an interesting tab, right? It's not only is the IT team looking at it, but if I was, you know, in marketing or if I was a, a C-suite employee and I looked down to see, hey, how is my business health? You know, I could make decisions based on what's going on. You know, I might need to give IT more budget so they can get more servers to roll this application out to more people, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. You guys will see that uh, these types of platforms that are out there, and they'll have uh, competitive gaps in the market. So you'll see, you know, that was a great example, Rick, as far as for that feature functionality being into the platform. There'll be observability gaps that they, a organization may have in there by trend. And uh, my predictability is where those gaps are, they will make acquisitions and start scooping up smaller organizations. I mean, you see it constantly. It's great technology, comes out of the gate, solves for a niche uh, problem in the market. Larger organization will come through, scoop them on up, and then bring that into their their platform to be able to provide an end-to-end solution. Like, that's constant what we see day in and day out uh, in the market. That'll continue. And I would expect that I'd even go as far as uh, we talk about APM. I'm going to turn on a dime here. But what we're seeing quite a bit is a, a uh, oversaturation of backup and recovery products out there. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about SASE and protecting the endpoint and how we're protecting these applications either on-premise and the cloud that are, are some of that are hybrid as well. There's a lot of market players that are out there as far as like startups are solving for a specific need. I'm pretty confident that you'll see larger organizations start picking them, picking some of them off and consolidating that market as well. In, in I'll even add one and, you know, take a little direction off of the APM and just kind of pivot for a second. Um, you brought up a good point in that, 
with the pandemic and what happened in talking about innovation, companies like Rubrik bringing the ransomware protection all the way into the back of the data center. A couple of years ago, you would never have heard that. Right, great point. We see that so much, right? And, you know, our core practice areas uh, and even, you know, some of the emerging pieces here, they are all coming together between network data center collaboration, security, carrier services, cloud. Like, it's all becoming together, right? You know, we talk about this on a day-to-day basis where there are cloud practice and our data center practice, and the overlap there is unbelievable. And data center and security, network and security. Network and security has been married together quite a bit for quite some time. But then also collaboration and security. Mm-hmm. It's blurs the lines quite a bit. The nice thing for our standpoint is that we have expertise across the board and then we can partner internally to provide great solutions for our customers. You're absolutely right. I, I would never have thought years ago that that would happen, but I am involved in a project now where collaboration and security are very important just based on this particular use case, right? And I might overlap into data center, my overlap into cloud, my overlap into the carrier services has been increasing over the last couple of years. And you said there's no line. We used to have, you know, hey, we have six different disciplines in our organization, but now everybody crosses over into them because that's what the, the market is demanding. Yeah, it's a great key indicator for us as well for where we're driving success. So when we have that overlap between organizations, it means we're selling solutions and outcomes to customers. Not, hey, I need to buy this point product and come in and install it. How are you taking a step back and looking at this holistically? Perfect example for us and where we see and we're able to measure a metric that collaborative effort internally. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, in in the past, I think it's been, you know, we need to go buy five POTS lines <laughs> to light up our collaboration environment. And now when you look at where people are connecting to their collaboration type uh, of offering or, or whatever it may be, it can be a bunch of remote offices. It can be one, you know, home office. It can be entirely remote users, those types of things. So I think the blend of network security, collaboration, data center, where those applications are hosted, how they're hosted, have almost erased the lines of of what's happened at this point. It's now just, uh, you know, all one thing that they can deliver. Interesting thing. When we, coming out of uh, COVID and pandemic, well, we're still in the thick of it, uh, but to a lesser degree, one of the interesting things that we saw organizations as they had their plan uh, remote workforce come back to work, or at least maybe a hybrid level, or some you know came all the way through and said we're having everybody come back to work. One of the biggest concerns that they had was making sure that they could have the same end user experience or better for users at the office. They had a great experience and got used to you know I'm you know, working from my desktop and I have a great experience. I may have a video endpoint you know a Cisco Desk Pro, great experience. And how are you going to take that user out of that great experience, bring them into an office that's going to have a subpar experience where you try and drive that culture to work collaboratively internally and it's not as good as like, well, why don't I just work from home? Mm-hmm. That drove a lot of different conversations. Some customers come to our office to have that experience and see you know, what we're able to provide as an experience, demos, so they can see what it would be like, uh, not only just at home, but also back in the office. Yeah, and I think even coming in here, we've seen customers that, uh, maybe not maybe not be on one platform, but multiple platforms. Right. And they come into the office and they go, wait, you can do multiple platforms? And yeah. again, talk about that user experience, right? Them coming in, you know, it, it they, they look, because in the pandemic, they had to scale quick. Okay, I need, all right, I have 
MS Teams already. I'm going to have this group use MS Teams. I'm going to have this group use Zoom. I'm going to have this group use Cisco WebEx. And now that they got to production, they bring it back in the office and the headquarters may be WebEx. How do you continue that? And that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, my experience, it was, uh, it evolved throughout COVID and pandemic and working from the house. So we had, uh, we made the investment for our demo environment here at the office, either the one in Waltham and, and Warwick, and we, we bought uh, Cisco Desk Pros. There was nobody at the office, so I had the benefit of bringing that home, putting it on my desk, which was I went from using a laptop, joining a WebEx, or I'm in so many different meetings that could be driven by somebody outside of, of Aqueduct, which may be Zoom, maybe Microsoft Teams, maybe Ring Central, maybe, you know, whatever the platform is. And is it, so now I'm pulling down clients to my laptop, slowing it on down, having a bunch of stuff running in the background, and then having a different user experience every single time. As a course of, you know, getting, uh, getting the Desk Pro, getting implemented and configured, reconfigured in a way that as is tied to my calendar, regardless of the type of meeting that I'm joining, I have the one touch button to join WebEx, Zoom, Teams, and I hit the button and I'm just in the meeting. Yeah. And I have the same collaborative experience, the same end user experience. It's been really revolutionary, especially when I go from back to back to back and I don't have to, you know, a couple minutes before the meeting, down the application, try to join it, try to fiddle with it. Like, am I joining through computer audio? Is it calling back my cell? My life got a lot more efficient once we were able to configure it in a way uh, that I could just join. I think that's a powerful story. And I think you talk about it, Rick, all the time, trying to go from uh, workshops to being more uh, advisors. And I think when people come into our office and we have customers that do demos here in the office, when they see that one touch type of joining, they are always floored by it. The fact that, you know, our, our WebEx boards have a button to one touch join a Zoom meeting. They, one, don't know that they can do that. Yeah. Uh, and, and two, when they see that they can do that and they've had these kind of mismatched groups for so long to be able to do that and to be able to provide, like you said, one customer experience, I think is a very powerful story and, and something that, you know, we've had a lot of success helping our customers do. Yeah. And I'll even circle it back through the, that application performance monitoring and you just don't care where it's coming from. <laughs> they just care that it works, right? They want to be able to launch that thing. And, you know, you mentioned it with, you know, the younger generation, um, wanting the instant on and, and all of that. Mm -hmm. They're now in the business space pushing that. And that's, and it, it might not even be the younger generation. I think it's just like the normal generation. We're just old now. That's, that's basically what it is. I don't know. I'm old. So everything's younger <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah, I think we're, we're at the, in the middle of a, a trend and evolution as far as just from a collaborative space, organization make decisions on their voice platform, on their video platform, on their messaging platform, on their contact center platform. Our role now is not just to go in there and, and deploy one total solution. It's now like, how do we stitch this all together for a great end user experience? And that's been a tremendous amount of, of work that we've done over the last 12 months. And that's been exasperated now by uh, COVID and pandemic because it's been so much more front and center for customers. It's been something that's uh, driven a lot of services for us. Yeah, even when we do the workshops, um, you could see that um, I always ask, how is this going to affect the customer or their end users, you know, from that? And th they always say that that's a, that's a, a, a great feature, or not, I don't want to say feature, but a great um, use case in looking at that, you know. 
You guys going to stop and take a bite of your tacos yet or what? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're about out of time. So I think we should wrap this up so we can eat and, and enjoy it. So Dan, I hope you had a good time with us or at least got some free tacos out of it. Uh, but we appreciated having you on. I think, uh, you know, you're in a awesome role for Aqueduct and you're leading us into a lot of great directions for both this year and, and in the future. And, you know, we look forward to seeing you succeed as is your passion. Well, uh, I may power now that we're back in the office and we're doing these internally and I know, uh, what the schedule is coming on up. I may just show up <laughs> and say hi because I've enjoyed my time so much. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Great. And if you would like to submit a question to the podcast, you can do that via marketing at com or via the website, and we will bring it up on a future Let's Talk About It segment. Rick, thanks for joining me as always. Yeah, this is another awesome episode. I'm glad you were excited for it. I am. <laughs> thanks, everyone. All right. Thanks, everyone.